0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 Four, two, one, three. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning. Eleven o'clock. Good to see you guys today. Um, We have an awesome band, don't we? Can we give it up for the band this morning? They're so good. It just warms my heart. Uh, They do such a great job. Love our team. Um, I get to lead worship next week. I am so stoked. So uh, very excited about that. But welcome to ACF Church. If you're brand new here, we want to say welcome. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. And you have come into uh, sort of towards the end of a series through this uh, this letter from Jesus' little brother. His name is James. And he's writing to this early church that's dealing with all kinds of conflict and struggle and trials. And uh, we believe that he's got some stuff for us here today. Um, lots of good stuff happening in our church and in our city. Um, we've continued on in our Wednesday night church plant. Been excited about that. If you don't know about that, uh, every week at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, we have the exact same service, um, only on a Wednesday night with all our full uh, kids ministry downstairs and a worship team and same message. It's all the same, just on an earlier time and date. So uh, encourage you at 11 o'clock, people, if you are free on a Wednesday to come join that gathering. It also frees up your weekend and you can sleep in on Sunday. So if you're not a morning person, I encourage you to do that. But good things happening there. Um, I met a guy a couple of months ago. His name's John and uh, he started coming to the Wednesday night uh, service with, uh, with his girlfriend and immediately they showed up started serving getting involved and one of our values as a church is that we're not spiritual consumers we are spiritual contributors and i watched John and he he just he was contributing he was serving he was showing up he was involved and uh, he grabbed me one day and he's like hey man i'd love to sit down and talk to you about some spiritual things and that's one of the perks of my job is people just come up to me and ask me to sit down and talk about spiritual things which i thought that's awesome that's great so we sat down, started talking one day at lunch, and I realized pretty quickly, okay, this guy, uh, he's not a believer in Jesus. He goes to church, he's involved and understands it all, but he's got some questions, and he started explaining to me some doubts that he had, uh, some struggling that he had with, uh, with faith and with science, uh, with truth, there being one truth, and he goes, you know what, I, I know I've got a lot of questions, but he said, I've never gone to a church where that's okay, where it's okay to come with doubts and fears and questions, which to me, that's, that just warms my heart, right? Because that's what we're here uh, to do. And so he continued on. He actually was engaged to his girlfriend and is looking at getting married. And so they went through the uh, premarital counseling that we offer here through ACF and uh, lots of good conversations. And about a week ago, he, he said, hey, let's get together again. So we went down to Qdoba on Muldoon, and we sat down there, uh, got a couple burritos, and started talking, and uh, I'm like, well, what's the, what's the hang-up? He goes, well, you know, like, um, I just feel like I've got so many questions, I can't figure it out, uh, this whole faith thing, and he's, he's an engineer, and he wants to answer all of his questions, and I'm like, well, tell me this, how much guarantee do you have that your marriage is going to work out when you get married? And he's like, oh, we're really good for each other, we've spent a lot of time together, I think it's going to be really good, but I'm like, well, what's the guarantee? And he's like... I guess there isn't one. And I said, that's kind of what faith is. It's like there's questions and maybe even some fears and doubts, but you get to the point where you say, I believe to the point that I'm going to walk uh, with God, both trusting him and being trustworthy to him. And we're going to figure out uh, this whole thing on the way. And so at the end of the conversation, he got real quiet and he leans over and he goes, Brian, I think I'm ready to say I'm a believer in Jesus. So can we give God a hand for what he's doing in our city tonight? Isn't that awesome? I was so excited uh, that this man was ready, and that's, uh, that's just what's going on Wednesday night. Great things going on here. Um, today, we're continuing on into chapter 5 of the book of James, and I want to tell you right now, buckle up, it's going to get a little heavy in the room. And so if you are new, you picked the right day to show up to church. Uh, it's going to get all kinds of real in this room. Uh, we're going to talk about your stuff a little bit. And uh, James is going to push on this culture that had become so consumed with the physical that they'd lost connection with the spiritual. And that there was this divide between the things of their life and the spiritual things that they said that they believed in. And in this next uh, passage that we're going to read here is some of the harshest language that we see in the entire book. James is helping us see, here's what happens when people lose vision when they lose perspective. And one of the challenges that I set out for you guys last week was create a vision for your life. Make a vision. And if you have a vision, you know where you're going, you're going to know how to make decisions. You're going to know what to do in situations where you don't know what to do. You'll just consult your vision and you'll know what the next step is. And so I hope you've had time. If you haven't, James isn't going to let this go because this is such a big deal. If you left last week and you're like, oh yeah, I should kind of write out a vision or, you know, think more about the vision that Brian said is, is, is uh, ACF Church's vision. Um, if you haven't done that, I encourage you, spend some time as you go home today thinking, what is my life about? What, what do I want out of life? And so let's open up James chapter 5, verse 1, and I encourage you to, to receive this. Uh, the tendency is going to be, as we move on in this conversation, the tendency is going to be to create um, arguments and uh, to try to argue your way out of feeling what's going to be said here in just a minute. But I encourage you, go through the valley here. Really soak this up for the next few minutes and ask God, do you have something to say to me through this? And so let's read this together. In, in verse 1 he says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. "'Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. "'Your gold and silver are corroded. "'Their corrosion will testify against you "'and eat your flesh like fire. "'You have hoarded wealth in the last days. "'Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers "'who mowed your fields are crying out against you. "'The cries of the harvesters "'have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. "'You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. "'You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter.'" You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So here we are in Alaska. Um, I moved up to Alaska about six years ago from Colorado, which was a very dry climate. Alaska is a very moist climate. Uh, It's a coastal climate, uh, lots of salt in the air. And one thing that we know Alaska has a lot of is rust, right? Right? So if you've got a car that's over six months old, you lay up underneath it, you're going to find rust. We do the mag chloride stuff on the road, that white chalky junk that gets on your windows. It, it eats away at the undercarriage on your cars. And, you know, things rust in this climate. Back in Colorado, they didn't seem to rust too bad. Um, well, I was, uh, I was searching out in the country for, uh, for a new vehicle to work on. And so one of the things I would do is I'd kind of go picking. And I drive around looking for cool junk in people's, uh, people's fields. And so I, I'm driving along and I see this old 1946 Willys Jeep CJ2A. And if you're trying to keep track of how many vehicles I've bought, I mean, don't even bother. Uh, it's, it, this is my issue. A lot of people have different addictions. Mine is vehicles. Um, I have bought a lot of vehicles in my life. I just love working on stuff. So I saw this and I couldn't resist, so I pull over and this farmer was like, yeah, you can buy it, I'll give you a great deal, it's been sitting there forever. So I drag it out of the weeds, get it home, and it's a little rusty looking, but I'm thinking, this is it, this is going to be awesome. So I wanted to make it my daily driver, so I fixed it up, painted it a little bit, uh, fixed some panels in the side, and I got it on the road. And I'm driving this thing to work every day, loved it. And so one day, it's a, it's a fall day, and I'm driving down the main road in Grand Junction, Colorado, and it's, it's called Patterson Road. I'm doing 45 miles an hour in my Willys Jeep, winds blowing in my hair, you know, beautiful morning, and I see these brake lights come on in front of me. I'm like, okay, I need to slow down. So I reach over to push, push on the brake, and the pedal goes to the floor. Which, I don't know if you've ever lost brakes in a vehicle, but you get this feeling like you're going to throw up, you know? And I'm like, oh no! And and, uh, I I start pumping, and I'm pumping, and it's not doing anything. I'm pumping, and and I'm getting closer to these cars, and so I'm like, all all I can do is is steer out of the way. And so I turn, I go into the ditch, and now I'm baja my way in the ditch, and people are looking at me like, is he just bored in traffic? Like, what's he doing? And, And I'm hitting jumps, and the car's flying through the air, and finally the thing comes to a halt. And I'm just shaking, right? I'm like, I just almost died. I can't believe this happened. And I kind of pride myself on taking care of my vehicles and never letting something like this happen. So I get out and I'm shaking and I I look up underneath the thing and the undercarriage of this Jeep is covered in this clear liquid. And I realize pretty quickly it's covered in brake fluid. I'm like, where is brake fluid coming from? So I lay up underneath and I looked at a brake line. It was dripping out of the brake line and I go up to grab it. And when I grab it, the line just turned to like frosted flakes in my hand. I mean, it just fell apart. And I had painted the whole thing so it was all nice and shiny on the outside, but the internals of this line were corroded and rusted and coming apart. Man, I almost killed myself uh, because I thought that it was in better shape than it was. James wants to talk to us about our life. He wants to ask us the question, are you investing in things that will rust? Are you investing in things that ultimately won't matter and one day will turn to dust? What is your life ultimately about? He, he's showing these readers their folly in setting a high value on wealth and, and enjoying or envying those who are rich and, and being all about trying to get more stuff. So this is going to get all up in your kitchen. Um, uh, just get ready for it. It's going to get real here, but uh, let's try to go somewhere together. So let's start by praying. Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us. Thanks that James was speaking to a, an early church thousands of years ago, and yet, God, we can receive this truth here today in Eagle River in 2015. God, thanks that your words are timeless, and uh, God, you continue to, to, to work on our hearts. And so, God, I just confess that there's a long ways to go in my own life. And we as a people, God, we want to hear you speak to us. Um, so would you just take down walls, and would you allow us to hear you and hear your word for what it is, and would you change us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen amen. So James is really asking us this question, what is your end game? What is your vision? Again, if if you haven't nailed that down, I'd encourage you, write it down, spend some time, if you're married with your husband or your wife, and just decide, like, what are we really about in this life? And this whole book is really intended to kind of take an audit of your life, which um, one of the biggest fears of a lot of people is getting an audit. We don't like that because we know there could be some discrepancies in our financials. And so nobody loves the idea of an audit. But that's kind of what James does is he, he, he helps us to look at our lives and look at our vision. And he helps us to see inconsistencies between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. The whole book is about putting your faith into action, saying... I believe, but not doing anything, is called worthless faith or religion. And here at ACF, we're not about building up religion. We're about building a true faith. So let's start here in verse 4. He says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So here's what's happening here. You've got this church, and inside the church and we've talked about this before, are the very rich and the very poor. There was almost no middle class in this early church. And so you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever gone to church with your boss. Maybe he's here right now. Uh, but, but it can be a little weird. And, and here's, here's this church with the rich and the poor and the people who are making all the money and have all the money and the people who have almost no money. You can imagine conflict, right? Always conflict. And so in this church, those rich people controlled the land. Uh, that's how it worked. If you had control of the land, you could control the, the finances of the culture because the land is how you made money. The land is how you supported your family, how you fed your family. And so you've got these poor people, and if you didn't have a trade, you didn't know what to do, well, you'd go and you'd work the fields. You'd go harvest, and you could go make money and support your family. And so you've got the rich people, and the poor people are working for the rich people. And he's saying, he's saying, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. What was going on is these people, they're working their day, and it was customary that at the end of the day, you would get paid for your work. And what was happening is that these rich people were looking at their bank account at the end of the day, and they're like, ooh, that looks nice. That looks padded pretty well. And then payroll comes up, and they're like, ooh, that's going to hurt. And if any of you are business owners or people who write out payroll, you know it's pretty much the most painful thing you do all week because people cost a lot of money right? And so you've got these rich people going, I'm not going to pay payroll. I'd rather keep my bank account buffered up and let these people go without their pay. And I don't know if you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck. Maybe right now you're living paycheck to paycheck. But these people weren't just living paycheck to paycheck. They were living day to day. Literally by not paying them, they were keeping them from eating that night. Like, you would get paid, you'd go buy some food, you'd get clean water for your family, and that's how you would support yourself. You'd go back to work the next day. Stressful, right? That'd be a stressful life, but that's how a lot of these people were living at that time. And so these business owners or these field owners were not paying their, their workers for the work that they were doing. And you don't have to be a business owner to relate to this. You don't, you don't have to be the person writing in payroll. You see, in Scripture, there are a couple different kinds of sin and rebellion. Uh, the first is, uh, is sins of commission. Sins of commission are things that we should not do. We're like, I shouldn't act this way. I shouldn't do that thing. This is something I shouldn't have in my life. These are sins of commission. But then there's also sins of omission, which are things that we should be doing but we don't do. And a lot of times we, we kind we of, don't, we don't actually acknowledge that end of things as sin in our lives, that when God is calling you to do something or when you have a responsibility to do something and you don't do it, that is rebellion in our hearts. And so these, these uh, business owners were not paying their people, they were resisting their responsibility, and in essence they were robbing them of what they deserved. Now, I don't know if you see it this way in your life, but this is where I was convicted is I'm like, you know, when I don't do what it is that God has laid out before me, when I resist God's call on my life, whether it be in my finances or my time or my talents, when I do that, it's literally like robbing my gift from someone else. It's literally like robbing God from what it is that he's created me to do in this world. And I I know those are harsh terms, but James wants us to get real about this, that when we have been given something, we've been given something to do with that stuff. You guys might know this story in Luke 12. It says this, and this is the parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. Also, very kind language in Scripture, but very honest. Verse 17 says, And he thought to himself, this is the rich fool, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops." So this is the American dream, isn't it? This is, this is the American dream. Get a lot of stuff, and when you run out of room, get a storage unit, right? And store more stuff, and then gather more stuff. And the American dream is just make yourself comfortable by surrounding your stuff with padding, with stuff. Whether it be a lot of extra money in the bank account, or a lot of stuff in your house. Some people just feel more comfortable with stuff around them. Have you been in a house like that where you're claustrophobic when you walk in? You know, there's something on every single wall. There's something in front of the door, by the door, by the couch, everywhere. There's just, there's stuff. But this is the American dream. And here's this guy who's acquired a lot of stuff. When he ran out of room, he said, let's build a bigger house so I can fit more stuff. And then he says, he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you, which is so key Uh, I think what he's trying to tell us here is that we need to live like this night our souls will be required of us. And I don't know if, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know how, if you feel like you're living as if this could be it. But there is no guarantee any of us are going to make it home today. Sorry. Sorry. There's just no guarantee. And so he's like, hey, listen, man, I know you got a lot of stuff, but literally tonight, and I don't know if, it, if, if actually something was going to happen to this guy or if he's just trying to make a point, but he's like, literally tonight, if you had to make an answer for everything that you had built in this life, would you have a good answer for it? Clearly, this man could not. And so we are in sort of a time of post-apocalyptic movies, you know, and TV shows. Any Walking Dead fans? Come on be honest yeah we got some walking dead people where's glenn right we want to find out um i think he's still alive but i'm just saying um so yeah it's our family it's our guilty pleasure we watch walking dead my wife and i we put the kids to bed and and uh and it's interesting when you watch these movies because um it's so funny how people's priorities change don't they All of these movies, it's like you've got this perfect world and everybody's lawns are mowed and their houses are all perfect and they've got all this nice stuff. And then the end of the world comes. And now it's like they're trying to block the window because the zombies are coming and they're like, what are we going to block the window with? Flat screen TV. So they take a flat screen TV and they like nail it to the wall to, to block the hole. You know, and they're like, oh, we're, we're, we're needing heat. Uh, we got a lot of fire. What do we use? And they're like opening their wallets. Money. We'll use money. And so we'll burn the money, you know. And, and now they're like lamps and all the things in their house are used to impale zombies and all kinds of, you know. Everything is not, it's never used for what it was intended to be used for. Their priorities get all flipped upside down when the end of the world comes. And I think about that like, How different would life be if you knew tonight your soul will be required of you? But who lives like that, right? Does anybody really live like that? I think James is saying we can. We can live like that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop right now. And we're going to spend 60 awkward seconds of being silent. Um, And I, I want you to just close your eyes and ask God... Is there evidence in your life of hoarding and holding back that which God has given you both financially and in your gifts and in your abilities, in your resources to be used for His kingdom? Is, is there evidence in your life of you lacking vision? Is there, is there a separation between what you say you're about if you're a believer in Jesus and what you're actually about. And so let's take sixty seconds, let's ask God, let's bow our heads, and we'll continue on in a second. How you doing? Is that good? Some of you, that was the most silence you've felt in months, right? something about just stopping for a second and saying, God, speak to us, speak to our hearts. Whatever it is, if something came to your mind and um, if nothing came to your mind, you probably need to spend another 60 seconds because the reality is we all have something that we're keeping back from God. We all have something. And you know what? If you're here today and you're like, Brian, I got this nailed. The good news is you can leave this church and do absolutely nothing. But the bad news is you need to there's something that God wants from you. I believe there's something in all of our hearts. And so whatever that is right now, let me encourage you, don't put a band-aid on it too quick. If you're like already kind of making an argument for yourself, let it bleed for a minute. Just let it bleed. Don't, Don't try to hide it. Don't try to explain it away. Let it bleed for just a minute, because I think God wants to Wants to challenge us. And and this goes way beyond, like I said, it goes way beyond your finances. James is speaking to the rich, which many of us, if not most of us, would fall into that category. But there's a greater understanding here that we tend to keep things from God, whether it be our abilities or our our time, our talents, and our treasures. Uh, My wife and I, we walked into my eight year old daughter's room um, a couple months ago, and we were kind of picking some stuff up, and I saw this little box on her nightstand, this little shoe box. So I opened it up, and inside this little shoe box was candy and toys and all kinds of things that she wasn't supposed to have. And so right about then, as I'm looking through this box, she walks in, and like busted, right? And she goes, Mom, Dad, that's my personal stuff. And I'm like, you're eight. You don't get personal stuff till you're 25. No personal stuff for an eight-year-old. She's like, but but that's my stuff. I keep it in that box, and that's, that's my stuff. And we're like, you don't, you don't need this stuff, and you're not supposed to have this stuff. And I think, I think we look at God, and we have this category in our lives of stuff that's none of his business. Like, God, I don't know. You can have this, but this over here, this, this is for me. This is for my family. You don't understand, God. You don't understand where I came from, what I've been through. This makes me feel better. You can touch all of this, just don't touch this. And I believe that God wants this. That thing, whatever it may be that you're saying he has no business asking you for is the one thing that he wants from you today. It goes way beyond what we have in our bank accounts. It goes into everything that we are, every gift you've been given. And I think that when we say that, God, what are you doing? Stay out of my business. I I wonder if God looks at us and he's like, where were you when the world was formed? Where were you in the beginning when all of this was nothing? I wonder if God can handle it. I wonder if God can help us through our doubts and our fears. So let's be honest. I know this is an awkward conversation and this is difficult, I was reading a study recently that said people would rather talk about, in public, talk about their sex lives than their financial situation. is interesting, right? In a culture where everything's okay to talk about, you know, we'll talk about anything in public, you know, no holds bar, no filter. But when it comes to our finances, we get really uncomfortable. We don't like this conversation at all. It gets super awkward. And I was thinking as I was preparing for this, I'm like, there's going to be somebody here today that is that new new guy or girl. Like, you just came to church, your buddy just brought you, your friend just brought you, you just walked in this morning, and you're like, see, I knew it. I knew it. They just want my money. Pastor, get your hands out of my pockets, right? I just want you to know, I don't want to get in your pockets. You know, I don't want to, that's just, it sounds awkward, and I don't want to get into your pockets. That's not what we're about here at all. I'll be honest, though. Like, I'll be honest, this, I just, I need a new jet, so that's really what this is all about. My old one's got a ton of miles on it, and, um, no, see, you guys are laughing, because it's, because that stuff happens, but that's not what this is about, but there's this tendency like, okay, he wants something, he needs to get something, pastor wants a pay raise, that's not what this is about. There's a feeling of tension. Like why are you doing this? And I it's less like me trying to get in your pockets and more like just imagine we went back in time, like twenty years. You and I are like on a street corner, wearing Jenko pants, remember Jenko's? Uh Walkman's uh, you know, like we're hanging out, we're just chilling and, and I'm like, hey man, so I really think you should buy some some apple stock. And you're like, no, nah, dude, like uh I think Kmart is where it's at. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's all about the Apple stock. And you're like, no, no, get your hands on my pockets, bro. Like, it's Kmart. Like, I know what I'm doing. I got this figured out. And I'm like, no, seriously, dude, buy some Apple. And you're like, no way. Anyway, I, I feel like that's kind of what this conversation is like. Because James and, and James is trying, he's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to give you something. He's trying to help you. Because he's trying to show us that, that all that we invest in this world, in the American dream, in the end is rust and dust. In the end, it will be nothing. If you've not invested in people, and, and, and this, this parable that Jesus tells us, again, is trying to help us, not take something from us. but He's trying to give something to us. He's trying to give us meaning and purpose in life. So what do we learn about our riches the first thing we learn is our riches are dangerous. And I thought about rephrasing this. I'm like, that's kind of harsh. Maybe I should say our riches are sometimes dangerous. Our riches can be dangerous. Um, I wanted to really uh, soft sell that. But then I started reading all of these passages about money in the Bible. And I was like, no, they're all like, be afraid. Be very afraid of, of riches. It's a dangerous thing to have money. Verse 5 says, you you have lived on earth in luxury, in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So do we have any people that own a black lab or a, you know, a golden lab? Any lab people in the room? I love labs. Um, We had a lab at one point, and uh, I want to get another dog someday. But growing up, we had this little shih tzu. This is a horrible dog. Anyway, I'm sorry if you're you're like a shih tzu lover, but it's just the most worthless little animal. Anyway, it um, that's, that's mean, I know. Um, but I remember my mom and dad, they'd say, would you feed the Shih Tzu? And I said, yes, Ginger. Ginger was her name. Would you feed Ginger? perfect name for a worthless dog? And so I would get, I'd get the bag, and, I'd, and she had this like gerbil feeder food thing that held like five gallons of food and fed it out the bottom. So you could put like a 50-pound bag of dog food in this thing, and she'd be set for a month right? No feeding the dog, all set for the month, you know? And she nibble away at it here and there. Not a black lab, right? Lab owners, you know what this is about. You give them a cup of food and you grab their collar and they're just like ah, ah, trying to get at the food because, you know, they want that food and they want it. Now, you can't leave the bag out and maybe you've made the mistake where you left the bag out, right? And you came home and the dog was laid there with its stomach all distended and, you know, this lab, it's eaten absolutely everything and it's sick, you know, and it's moaning, but it's so heavy. Happy because it ate all of the food. That's what labs do. They just eat everything and consume anything and everything that's in front of them. Yeah. 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Riches are dangerous. There's a tendency when you get more to want more it just is that's how it works if you think if i just get a little more time if i just get a little more money if you, if i just grow my abilities and my talents a little bit more then i'll be generous it's a lie generosity is a heart issue it's not about the amount of any things that you any of these things you have at your fingertips it's a heart issue and you know this because you know somebody who has almost nothing and is so generous and is so satisfied with their life. And so I think intuitively we get that the more that we get doesn't equal more happiness or more peace or more generosity. Be warned, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So I want you to understand what this this is saying. There are some people in our church and people in our community and you have a special ability to make money. Now, I would say in terms of the rich, we probably all fall into that category, but there are people also that God has specifically gifted where people are like, I just know how to make money. I have a lot at my fingertips. I can, I can multiply my resources, and I have a way of growing my finances. And that's not in itself a bad thing. But it's like we talked last week. When, when this thing gets out of control is when it stops being something you want, and it becomes your desire. When, when you don't just want some, some money, you don't just want to pay the bills and want to have some resources, it becomes what you're about. It becomes something that consumes you. The second thing we learn about our riches is our riches are a gift. Verse 2 says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. So I was reading that and I'm like, you know, wealth and clothing good things, right? We all have clothes today. Praise the Lord. All of you are wearing clothing at church today. That's a that's a good thing. I applaud you for that. Um, these are not bad things in and of themselves. But he talks about gold and silver. Again, gold and silver are not bad, but he says they have corroded, which is interesting. If you know anything about gold, that gold doesn't really corrode and, and disappear. It, it'll get oxidated and change color, but it doesn't really go away. But he's saying like, even something like that, anything and everything in the end will be worthless if it's not about the kingdom of god it says everything has corroded and will corrode 1st timothy 6:17 says as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty uh, this word haughty means arrogant not to be arrogant nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches again not to look at what you have as your hope to support you and give you Life, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Whew, right? All right, Brian, I was feeling bad about my Honda Civic. I got a nice car, but you just read that. See, that's good. It's okay. Our riches are a gift. It's okay to appreciate the gift. I've said this before the double musky pepper steak is my nemesis. I love that steak. Um, Amanda and I, we go out on dates occasionally. and We'll go down to Girdwood and we'll get the pepper steak. You got to take out a second mortgage to buy it. But man, I love that steak. It is so good. And you know what? I eat it all and I don't feel bad for it at all. I love it. I love that steak. It's okay to, to appreciate the gift that God has given you. But understand this. If you want to be able to appreciate it, you want to be able to, to, to thank God for it. If you want to be somebody who who enjoys that without feeling bad about it, you're going to be generous. You're going to be one who holds your things very loosely. That's the best way to enjoy what you have. We think hold on tighter so you can enjoy. James says hold on looser. Hold on looser and you'll be able to enjoy it. Number three, our riches aren't our riches. It's kind of had a little hold on loosely moment there. Anyway, Proverbs 11. Anybody with me on that one? No? Is that Journey? Who is that? Okay, you guys are with me. That's sweet. Okay, Proverbs 11. (laughs) Let's read this. 24. "One, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Catch this, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So translation here, want to be rich, give freely. Want to be poor, withhold your blessing. That's what he's saying there. Want to be rich, let go. This is so counterintuitive, isn't it? This is not how we work. We think, hold on tighter. But there's this understanding that this never came from you. This, this was never your doing. There's this feeling, for those who are most generous that I know, there's this understanding that, that like they didn't do anything to create it, and any day it could all go away. There's this feeling that, like, I know that I have a job, and I know I have have this intellect that can make me some money. I know I have some resources at my fingertips, you know? But I also know at any point, this can be taken from me. At any moment, this can all crash, you know? Your 401k, gone. Gone. You know, at any moment, all of the things that we feel like make us feel really comfortable for the future, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in this this society. We don't know what's going to happen in the financial market. Any of this can go away. Your intellect didn't come from you. You didn't choose to be born into the place you were born into. You didn't choose the house that you were born into. You didn't choose your parents that sent you to school and sent you to college. Like, that is a gift from God. And when you see it as a gift, you give it away. It's what you do. So I think here's what we need to do. I think we need to make some new dreams. I think we need to look at our world a little differently. I think we need to consider our vision and then make new dreams based on our vision. If your vision is to see Eagle River and Anchorage and and the valley become communities of grace, if your vision is to see the kingdom of God expanded in this city, then make new dreams. Dreams that involve guys like John that I told you about at first. Guy who comes here questions and doubts and, and through many of you who, who loved him and, and, and welcomed him and, uh, and his, uh, his girlfriend to church and helped them feel comfortable here. You know, many of you are a part of that. You helped make this community happen so that guys like John can show up here and make a life-changing commitment to follow Jesus. His life will never be the same because of what's gone on here. Make new dreams about people being cared for in our community, people being loved, and then, when you make those dreams, here's what you need to do. You need to figure out what the next step is. What's the next step to achieve that dream? What do you need to do today? Because if you leave here and nothing changes, this was time wasted. I mean, church, we got to know this. We got to know this. This is time wasted. If you come here, and again, it's just like that illustration, if you just gain knowledge and go home and you don't exercise your faith, you become spiritually fat. That's what happens. It's just how it works. We gain more information. We learn a lot of great stuff. We don't exercise our faith. That feels really good to have all of this information, you know, to have felt that conviction. That, that's great. I felt conviction. Hooray for me. But I think God wants us to move forward. So what's the next step? What is it? And then when you know what that next step is, you need to Tell somebody. You need to tell your husband or your wife. You need to tell a friend of yours. You need to tell a pastor. You need to tell somebody. Tell an elder. Tell somebody that you know, like, hey, this is the next step in my life. This is the way that I'm going to show that my vision is going to align with my lifestyle. Because if we're honest, we know that you can tell what we're about based on our our day planners and our checking accounts. All you got to do is look at my day planner, my checking account. You know what my vision is. And that's scary. So what's it going to be? Maybe it's uh, serving here at ACF. Maybe you're like, okay, so my kids are downstairs every week. Maybe I should go serve down there once a month. So maybe that's it. Uh, You know, maybe it's serving in the back as as one of the first impression team people or on the worship team. I don't know what your gift is or your ability is, you know, but maybe it's serving here. Maybe you need to get a new job. Maybe what you're doing, like, it's not what God has for you and you know it. Maybe you're not in the place that you need to be in, and so you've been resisting this for a long time, but maybe the book of James is going to mess your life up, you guys. I mean, if you take this seriously, it's going to change some things for all the better, but it's going to mess some things up. So maybe it's a different job. Maybe it means taking the idea of giving seriously here at church. I don't know. Maybe you're like, okay, I've been resisting that for a long time. I don't trust God with my stuff. I hold tight and it's not been working for me. Try something different. Hold, hold on loosely. Try holding on a little loosely and see what happens. So for me, I was putting this together and here's the really difficult thing about preaching this stuff is God gets into my business and um, so Amanda comes into the kitchen. She's like looking at the, 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 the checkbook and she's like, hey, did you know that, uh, that we haven't like looked at our giving uh, to the church, um, our tithe, since we got pay increases a long time ago? And I'm like, hey, Walking Dead's on. Let's go watch some Walking Dead. Let's go do anything but talk about this. Because she my wife's good for me. That's that's why I need her. Because you guys, I'm just being honest with you. I have a tendency to be really greedy. I do. Is that bad? I don't know. I probably shouldn't be leading the church. But this is this is my tendency. It's to hold on to my stuff. I like I like my stuff. I do. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel happy. Like, oh, that's good. But Man, it's it's so bad, and so I have to I have to discipline that. This is that's what tithing does is it disciplines the part of you that thinks that you can control your life. You can't. Ah, oh, it hurts. So my commitment to you is I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna sit down with my wife and we're gonna figure this out. So that's my commitment to you guys. But I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe your coworker has needed a new dryer for a long time, and you're just gonna go buy it for her. Or maybe you're going to get your life group together and you're going to show up with like cookies and a bunch of food and a new dryer. I don't know what it's going to be, but maybe there's a need in your life and you're just going to go meet it. You're just going to go meet it. I don't know what it is. Um, Maybe you're going to become a servant the next time it snows and you're going to go over to your neighbor's house and you're going to shovel their driveway before they get to it. So me and my neighbor, we've been in this battle back and forth where we, uh, we rush to try to take care of each other's driveways and so, like, this last time, it was, it was horrible. I was, like, standing in my front window drinking coffee, and here he comes, like, right in my driveway, taking care of my... puttering along. And so I'm like, okay, it's on, it's on. So next time it snowed, I was over at his driveway, snow blowing it, taking care of it. Here's the thing, I didn't even start it. I didn't start it. It, it wasn't me. I'm glad we're doing it, though. It's just, isn't that what you want? Don't you want a city like that, where everybody's rushing to each other's aid, you know? where it's like a competition? Like, do you have that friend that always tries to pay for dinner? And it becomes that my dad and his buddies always do this, you know? Like, they'll throw down in, like, the Chili's parking lot trying to figure out who's going to pay for the meal because they just, they have that generosity in them, you know? What is it with you? The, the, it's going to be that next simple step. Maybe it means clearing out some room in your schedule because you're like, I got, some, I got some talents, I got some abilities, and I'm not utilizing them for the kingdom of God. So something's got to go. There's only so many hours in the day. And so my wife and I, we've chosen like the things that we say yes to and the things that we say no to. So I don't know what the next step is. And maybe you're here right now and you're like, Brian, I just, I'm lacking motivation to do this. I'm not really sure I can make the next step. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to live in reflection of the love you've been given. This is all I want you to consider. Live in reflection of the love You've been given. Jonathan Edwards calls this grace made visible. I want to read this story. This is a pretty well-known story where Jesus is in this house of religious leaders. And there's this woman that walks in who wasn't supposed to be there. She's, uh, you know, they called her like a woman of the night or a prostitute. Somebody that's well-known in the community. She walks in the door and you can imagine just the eyes on this woman. She comes over to Jesus and she's weeping. In verse 44, it says, Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I don't know what you get out of that story. But what I see is a woman who is in touch with her depravity. And her awareness of her brokenness drew out her generosity. She comes to Jesus, she's weeping. She's All she's got to her name is this oil, which probably was used for her prostitution. She's got this oil, and she comes over to Jesus, and it's expensive stuff, and she starts pouring it on his feet, washing his feet, this this messy, sloppy moment of her crying and wiping his feet that were dirty with her hair, and and even even the, the, the disciples were like, why didn't she use that for something better? Like, wouldn't there have been a better use for this? And Jesus is like, she's done something beautiful. You know, being generous doesn't always look practical. It doesn't always make sense to the world around you. So what she's done has been beautiful because she's forgiven much, she loves much. But those who have been forgiven little, love little. Here's the thing, if you're in touch with your depravity, if you're in touch with the part of you that needs grace today, you're going to be so generous. I know maybe sometimes you just try to work up the strength and the courage, and I, th- that's good. But sometimes we need to reflect on who we are in light God's goodness. And when we do that, it it changes our hearts, doesn't it? It helps us see who we really are and who Jesus is. So here's my question for you today. What are you building? Is it rusting? Will it be rust? Will it be worthless? you Are going to build something that matters? Will it stand up to the test of time? When your soul is required of you, will it hold up? What are you building will people talk about it when you're gone will it matter will it be the kind of thing people celebrate the day you die what are you building let's pray together jesus thanks for your grace god uh, we come together as a people and uh, god we confess the arrogance in us that thinks that we have control. and God, I know you want something better for us, God. So today we we come to you and ask God that you would change our hearts. God, that you'd give us a bigger vision. Forgive us, God, for thinking too small. For holding tightly to things we could never hold on to if we wanted to. God, I pray we would hold even tighter to the grace given to us through Jesus. God, that that would be our treasure. God, you've given us so much. And I I just pray that as as we worship and move on here today, God, you would help us to be in touch with the vast separation between your holiness and our sinfulness. And yet, God, we would fully own the newness that we have in Christ Jesus those who would say, you're my Lord and you're my King. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.